The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Today's scripture reading is from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Thank you, Clara Beth. Well done. And uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, Almost Merry Christmas to you. Uh, I'd love to see you again on Christmas Eve as well, as as Mallory has invited us. And uh, want to uh, start this morning with an observation. Uh, Like Jesus Christ, Christianity was born in the first century Middle East and all that that means which creates a potential liability for our generational, geographical, and cultural distance from the original historical events. Now, uh, if you've been at Christ Press for any period of time, uh, it's no surprise to you anymore when you hear that Christmas is my favorite season of the year by far. Uh, I typically start playing the Christmas music in August, and I feel like that might even be a little bit too late uh, in the year. And, um, you know, Christmas for a lot of us has very positive associations. Things like family, time off from work, uh, and cozy types of experiences. There are even songs that, that reflect these experiences about you know, how cheeks are nice and rosy and comfy cozy are we, snuggle close together like, a, like two birds of a feather would be. Even, even our hymns, even our Christian hymns, uh, some of them carry with them uh, more Western sentiment, sentimental undertones. Little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Uh, Or it was a silent night. All is calm, all is bright. The infant is so tender and mild, sleeping in heavenly peace. Now, 
Heavenly peace might be our experience of Christmas, but it certainly wasn't Jesus' experience of Christmas, and it wasn't Mary's experience of Christmas. Uh, which may, for some of you, make me the Grinch who is about to steal your Christmas. I'd rather be accurate and irritating than inaccurate and false, okay? So, but hopefully it won't be irritating at all. If you've uh, ever been to or listened to Andrew Peterson's wonderful you know, portrayal of the Christmas story musically, Behold the Lamb, I uh, saw many of you at the Ryman this year uh, for that. Uh, there's a song in the middle that Jill Phillips sings every year, uh, and it's an honest song about the first Christmas, and the lyrics include these words. It was not a silent night. There was blood on the ground. You could hear a woman cry. The stable was not clean. Little Mary, full of grace, with the tears upon her face, had no mother's hand to hold. It was a labor of pain. It was a cold sky above. For the girl on the ground in the dark, with every beat of her beautiful heart, it was a labor of love. The true Christmas, the true Christmas, the birth of Christ looked a lot more like the death of Christ than it does the common Western experience of Christmas. There was a lot of blood, there was a lot of pain, and there was a lot of fear. And so for the next few moments, I'd like for us to consider the first and true Christmas which is at the same time a million times worse than and also a million times better than the Christmas that we think we want, okay? So I want to talk about the messengers, the meaning, and then the message itself. But uh, let's start, <coughs> excuse me, first with the messengers. You know, we've already sung this morning, and we'll sing again on Christmas Eve, Angels we have heard on high. Now, now, I doubt that there are a whole lot of people in here, there may be one or two, who would say that you have audibly heard angels. So what we're doing when we, when we sing that song is we're, we're entering vicariously into the experience of the shepherds who did hear the angels, angels on high. A, a choir, a whole choir of angels See, they received the message in a uh, profound, radical, extraordinary, earth-shattering way, which is a little bit like the experiences we want, right? Especially if we buy a ticket to something, we want to be blown away at the Ryman or at Bridgestone or at Titan Stadium. We want to be blown away, and we want Christmas to blow us away somehow, but that's not what it does. Most of us have received the true Christmas story and the gospel story itself in more ordinary, mundane ways from more ordinary and mundane sources. You know, one commentary says, the shepherds and Mary got the angels, 
but we get the shepherds and Mary. Two different kinds of messengers. One is extraordinary, choirs of angels. Another is quite ordinary and easily missed. The shepherds and Mary. So shepherds get this extraterrestrial choir and then they become God's chosen messengers. It says in the text that there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel appeared and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. There's the spectacular experience, the extraordinary, bringing good news and a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. <clears throat> glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And then the shepherds are sent to Mary. Mary herself has experienced uh, already a visitation from angels. Uh, you know, church history calls it the Annunciation, where the, the angels come and announce, the angel of the Lord comes and announces to Mary, guess what, you're pregnant. And she's like, how can that be? And, and the angel says, well, the Holy Spirit has conceived a child in you. Congratulations, you're gonna be the mother of God's son. So to reinforce that visitation from the angels, she gets a visit from the shepherds who have also been visited by the angels to confirm her experience. So who were the shepherds? They were considered the deplorables. They were considered the ignorables. They were at the bottom of the social ladder. They were marginalized, their testimony, like women, such as Mary, their testimony at that time was not allowed wasn't permissible in a court of law, wouldn't be accepted. They were regarded as common, ordinary, and, and, and they were pretty sharply judged, especially by religious folk, especially like the people who were looking for their presumed Messiah who was going to come would, judge, would, would pass judgment on the shepherds. Because the shepherds chose a profession that removed them from the life of the temple. And who would choose a job that would remove you from the life of the temple? And so they were, they were judged by a lot of people. And then there's Mary. Mary was a teenage girl, somewhere around 13 at the time. She was very poor. And she was engaged or betrothed to a man named Joseph who also was very poor. I really appreciate uh, uh, a year or two ago, our scholar in residence, uh, Dr. Paul Lim, was giving a reflection on the coming of Christ, and, and he reminded us all that if Jesus were to, let's say, the, let's say the, the story of Jesus began in Tennessee, modern-day Tennessee, he said, it wouldn't have happened in Davidson County. It wouldn't have happened in Williamson County. It would have happened in Grundy County. Grundy What? Yeah, most, a lot of you have never heard of Grundy County because Grundy County is the poorest and most overlooked county in all the state of Tennessee. And that's, where, that's, that's the kind of place that Jesus chose to hail from. And also a significant detail, he's born in the city of David. Now the David story is also a difficult story because he was more or less disowned by his parents. He, he actually makes mention of this fact in one of his psalms. My father and my mother have forsaken me. And we see this play out when, when Samuel the prophet hears from the Lord and says, one of the sons of Jesse is going to be the next king of Israel. And, and so Samuel goes and asks Jesse 
to see all of his sons. And Jesse brings six of his sons. And Samuel, the prophet, goes through all of the sons. None of these is going to be the, the Lord's anointed king. I'm confused. I thought I heard the voice of the Lord. Do you have any more sons? And Jesse says, oh, yeah, there's still, and this is the literal translation from the Hebrew, there's still the runt out in the field doing what? Tending sheep. Then we get King David. But before he becomes King David, he's a refugee running from the state, running from persecution, running from Saul, King Saul. And then he becomes king, and he's no longer a refugee. Now he's the person in power, and, and there's a particularly awful season where he abuses that power, forces himself upon a woman who's his neighbor who also happens to be married to one of his closest friends who's out to war and then arranges for that friend's death to cover up the pregnancy that had happened from his abuse of power. And what does God make of David? He becomes a messenger, just like the shepherds, just like Mary. He becomes a messenger, gives us half of the prayer book, half of the Psalms written by David. See, here's the message of Christmas for starters. Be careful who you look down on. Be careful who you ignore. Be careful who you dismiss. Be careful who you make into your partisan enemy. Because they might be God's messenger. Matthew chapter 25, parable of the sheep and the goats. Jesus says, Whatever you didn't do for the least of these, you didn't do it for me. Now, there he's referring to the poor. But you could carry the principle further. Anyone that you are inclined to dismiss or to write off, be really, really careful. Because God handpicked the types of people that were written off in first century Middle Eastern society to get the angels so that we could get them. Are we listening? See, the people that history has been prone to discard, among them messengers like the shepherds, like Mary, like David, they get the angel's message, we get them. I'm sure you've, <coughs> you've, you've had your fair share of reading of, of the, the Pew Research data that indicates uh, that every year on surveys, more and more people are identifying uh, none of the above as, as their religion, especially in the West. And there are two primary reasons why people are identifying as none of the above or saying that they're identifying as none of the above. One of those reasons is, particularly with respect to Christianity, there's such an unsavory history there. There were Christians who were, or professing Christians at least, who were involved with the Crusades, with racism, with slavery, misogyny, moral failure. There wasn't just an unsavory, there isn't just an unsavory history that nuns, none of the above folks would say. There's also just a whole host of unsavory messengers that I don't trust, that I don't, you know, that, that, that just aren't worth my ear. Well, who are those messages? Well, my parents. I don't respect my parents. Or my kids. 
I don't respect my kids. Or who are your messengers? Well, my messengers include people at work that I don't really trust. Or they include a preacher that I don't trust or that I don't particularly like. He irritates me. Or a politician who claims to be God's man or God's woman. Is it remotely possible, though? Let's say this is me. Let's say I'm checking none of the above on the religious, what religion are you survey. Is it possible that, that in citing unsavory history and unsavory messenger, me, messengers, what I'm actually doing is I'm trying to keep a safe distance from the message itself and using the messengers as the scapegoat so I don't have to deal with the implications of the message on me. Flawed messengers are no excuse for dismissing the message. I mean, Balaam was spoken to by the Lord through a donkey. The King James Version has a three-letter word for donkey. Judas led people to the Lord, even though Judas never knew the Lord himself. You know, if a six-year-old comes up on this, this piano and starts trying to play Mozart's Requiem and just butchers it, just butchers it, are you going to write off Mozart because of a six-year-old's flawed interpretation of Mozart? You'd be a fool if you did that. And you are a fool if you write off Christ because of those people. You're, you're just a fool. I'm sorry. It is a foolish thing to say, well, because of the messengers, therefore I'm not going to listen to the message. Well, no. That's not how it works. You can't dismiss the shepherds. You can't dismiss Mary. You can't dismiss David, even though they were the objects of great disrespect in their day and age. And yet God's chosen messengers. They got the angels, we get them. Here's the, other, here's the flip side of it, though. Isn't it so hopeful that, that, that most of the, the, the saints in the Bible are major, major problem people with checkered histories, unsavory aspects of their lives and character and yet God works through flawed people to deliver a flawless message and a flawless savior to a needy people. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It doesn't, doesn't matter if it's Judas coming to tell you that. It, it's true. It's true. And that's all that matters. There's one reason to be a Christian, not because the messengers are credible. Otherwise, take me out of the picture. Take me out of the picture. I've never kept a single thing I've preached perfectly. I've always failed everything that I've ever preached in some way, shape, or form. It's who it's pointing to, which I'll get to in a minute. Here's what my dog does. 
If, if I say, hey, Lulu, there is a scrap on the ground, which a scrap to Lulu, in, in, in her language, it's translated feast. There's a scrap of shrimp, a scrap of beef, a scrap of bread. For her, it, it's, it's lottery day. But what does she do? She just sniffs my finger. She doesn't look past my finger. Look over there. No, don't sniff my finger. Look at where my finger is pointing. No. This is the same with flawed messengers. I've got a crooked finger, a little bit arthritic. It's an imperfect finger, but it's pointing to a feast. It's pointing to a feast. So what's the meaning? It's here in verse 14. Glory to God. Peace on earth. The, the, the Greek word for that is arene. The, the Hebrew Old Testament word for it is shalom. It means flourishing. It means what the, the Anglican and Episcopalian Book of Common Prayer call God's saving health. His saving health. We've sung about it. He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. He's a healer. And this is for the good of those who believe and for the good of those even who will never believe. And I'll, I'll, I'll get to that in a moment. But first, for those who believe, listen to Mary's response when she hears this treasured news now from the shepherds after hearing it from the angels as well. Mary is pondering and treasuring in her heart all the things that she's heard from the angel and the shepherds. And the shepherds are glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. This message is a source of joy. It's not the Grinch who stole Christmas. It's the God who gave us Christmas with blood on the ground. And it was not a silent night. And it was cold and dark. And it was labor. And it was a treasure all at the same time. See, when you're from the social margins like Mary and the shepherds, and you've got a, a scary future, too. The implications for Mary especially are terrifying because nobody's going to believe that she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. It's never happened before. What are you talking about? See, so, so she's going to carry a scarlet letter. She's going to be, you know, Hester Prynne from, from, from Hawthorne's novel. She's going to be the one forced to, to carry the letter A, the capital A, on her chest for the rest of her life in her society. She's going to be mischaracterized, misunderstood, labeled, talked about at cocktail parties. And there's also death ahead for her. She's going to be widowed. Did you notice after the nativity story, Joseph pretty much disappears from the picture. He's not there when, when Jesus is crucified. Jesus, in fact, reaches out to his friend John and says, from now on, please, you take care of her. This is your mother and you're her son from now on. Joseph's gone. She's a widow. And she's 40-something years old by the time the cross happens. You know, at this stable, Mary in this stable is, is bleeding in order to deliver Jesus. But, but one day in the future, there will be more bleeding at the cross where Jesus is going to deliver her. The meaning of the cradle ultimately is the cross you know, verse 14, 
holds in it the promise that was given not just to the shepherds and not just to Mary, but, but to anyone through the corridors of history. If you, will, if you will humble yourself to be cradled by Jesus, then you are among those, like Mary, with whom he is well pleased and upon whom his favor rests. You're an adopted child of God. You, you are no less part of God's family than Jesus was part of Mary and Joseph's family. If you yield to Jesus, the king of the world, and let yourself be cradled by him. You know, th th this, this, this word to the shepherds, first about the shepherds, it says that they're afraid, they're terrified. You know, Charlie Brown's Christmas uses the, the King James Version. They were sore afraid. They were sore or aching with fear. And the message of the angels to them is do not fear. Do not fear. It's mentioned 365 times in the Bible. Some people say God gave us one do not fear for every day of the year. I don't know what that means for leap year. But it does beg the question, how can you say to Mary, don't fear, all things considered? And the simple answer is because I'm with you and upon you my favor Rest. You may have nothing else in the world, but you have me under your own roof and in your own heart and even in your own arms for now. You fear God, you'll never have to be afraid of anything, including God. How wonderful this is. I am with you. It reminds me of the little girl who misquoted the 23rd Psalm when asked to, to recite it in front of her church. And she says, the Lord is my shepherd, that's all I want. It's a little bit off, but it's also 100% what's going on with Mary as she treasures these things in her heart, even in light of all of the implications, how she's going to be socially ostracized with a scarlet letter that she didn't earn for herself. And how she's going to face the death of her husband and eventually her own son. And yet she's still able to treasure all these things in her heart. The gospel, by the way, is also good news for those who don't believe and even those who will never believe. You know, every person who hears the good news of Christ has two forms of grace given to them. There's first the grace of opportunity. If you believe as the shepherds and as Mary and David did, the favor of God will rest on you. That's the gospel. Forgiveness and love all of your days and into eternity, not because you've cleaned up your act, but because Jesus has cleaned you up and pledges to keep you clean in the sight of God. That's the grace of opportunity, but there's also the grace of proximity which applies even for people who will never believe. Verse 10 gives us a profound insight where it says that good news of great joy will be for all the people. For all the people. It's a bit of an echo of Acts chapter 2 where it says the people of Jesus, by virtue of the way that they live their lives in their communities and cities, 
enjoyed the favor of all the people. What's being said here? That the gospel is good news for Christians and it's good news, it ought to be good news for all people who have any sort of connection to Christians. See, Jesus says, the Father sent me into the world, now I send you into the world. To do what? To make my blessings flow as far as the curse is found. Christmas all year to your communities, to the places where you live, work, and play. That's why I'm sending you to carry this light that, 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 that is now upon you. The favor of God is upon you, which should turn you into a favorable neighbor. You know, C.S. Lewis wrote that if you read history, you will find that the people who did the most for this present world are the ones who thought the most of the next. N.T. Wright said something similar. He's unpacking that enormous phrase in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. And then N.T. Wright poses two questions for those who identify as followers of Jesus Christ, who identify as those who are yielding and, and letting themselves be cradled by the king of the world. Question one, what would your city look like if Jesus was in charge of everything? What would it look like? That's question one. And number two, as disciples of Jesus, what is your part in moving the needle forward? To make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found in the places where you live, work, and play. What happens when Jesus sends his people out? We get a picture of that. When he sends out the 72 disciples, and as he sends them, he says, I want you to pronounce peace, shalom, over every town you go into. That's your starting point. We come for peace, for flourishing, to advance the saving health of Christ. In every sphere and in every home. And then he says, proclaim that the kingdom of God is already here. It's not some ethereal disembodied fairyland. Jesus didn't come so we can die and not go to hell. That's, that's part of the vision, but it's such a small part of it. Jesus came so his kingdom would be established on earth as it is in heaven. So that the gospel would be good news now, not only to Christians, but to people who know us. People who depend on our work and the quality of our work. People who have us as neighbors. People that are driving on the road at the same time we are. People who are eating at the same restaurants that we're eating at. And serving us or being served by us. The 72 return with joy, it says, and they say, even the demons, even the demons are subject to us. Even the powers of hell cannot stop, Lord, what you're doing through ordinary people. Ordinary people. It was only Peter, James, and John who saw the transfiguration. It was only Peter, James, and John who got the angelic vision. We're talking about 69 other people as well. 
All they got was the babe in the straw and a bunch of fishermen, blue-collar workers, and Mary and shepherds. Even the demons are subject to us. So when we ask, you know, our church, would you consider befriending and bringing in people who don't have a church? Would you consider what it looks like to serve your work, to serve your world, to serve people in need? All we're asking is that you would Metaphorically speaking, keep the Christmas tree up all year long and give Christmas to the people around you all year long. Peace, flourishing, shalom, saving health. The kingdom of God is at hand. You'll notice, you've probably noticed in your bulletin, December is a really big, big month that we depend on for the generosity of God's people, and I'm not, I'm not going to make a pitch. God will work in your heart however God wants to, to work. But I, I do want to a- answer the question, why? Why do we as followers of, uh, followers of Jesus let go of resources? As far as Christ Pres Church is concerned, it is so that we can do our part in, to, in, in, in contributing to Christmas all year long to spread great joy for all people and not just Christians in our city. For us, this means, you know, faith and work integration. It means especially care for the vulnerable, all the campus ministries that we are involved with. Did you know that especially at Belmont, the average student is three times more likely than the average student anywhere else to struggle every day with anxiety, depression, and suicidal thoughts because of the pressure they feel. That's part of why we do ministry on campuses, to tell young people that there is a hope. Crisis pregnancy centers, things that we're involved with that help prostitutes, former prostitutes get back on their feet and current prostitutes see see a way out toward meaningful work and and recovery of the dignity that's always been theirs. Just need to discover it again. Addiction recovery, alleviation of poverty, both personal poverty and systemic poverty, pouring into communities that involve people who have disabilities and special needs. This is where the generosity goes. You know, we just got news this past week that um, an invitation that we extended to uh, a black pastor to come and plant the fourth Christ Pres location, he gave us a yes. And so we'll be celebrating that. I don't know where in, in the city it's going to be, and I can't tell you his name just yet because he has to talk to his people first. But this will be our first explicitly cross-cultural effort as a church, that's why we asked for $2.1 million in December. Not so we can hoard it, not so we can give ourselves a raise, not so we can, you know, renovate everything, so we can send it out, so we can make blessings flow. 
wherever the curse is, wherever injustice is, wherever pain is, wherever vulnerability is, we want to contribute to a, to, to a broader Christian movement such that it's not only Christians but non-Christians who are, who are experiencing the joy and the peace that comes from being connected to Christ. And such that if Christians were somehow taken out of our city, those who remain would panic. Taxes would have to be raised immediately and the whole city would be sad because of the quality of what the gospel in Christ's people does for their cities communities and the places where they live and work and play. Okay, so finally the message. <laughs> Kids, you are being awesome. You're being awesome. This is very short. But, but this is where it brings it all home. Remember how I talked about how when I point my finger, my dog just sniffs my finger and doesn't look where I'm pointing. All of this, even the impact that Christians can have in their cities, it's not the point ultimately. It's a pointer. It's a pointer. And Christmas time in the West, the trees, the gifts, the time off, the music in the air, the Hallmark movies, these are all pointers. They're wonderful things to enjoy, and they are pointers to the shepherd. How amazing is that, that Jesus identified himself as a shepherd? The shepherd who made haste, who came to us in the dark and said, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You know, his, his cradle is a finger that is pointing to the cross, to another place of blood. You know, Jesus is delivered by Mary through blood and tears and then later he will deliver us through blood and tears on his cross. But the Christmas we enjoy here too in the West, consider it a finger that's pointing to something where, where the gifts we receive point to the ultimate gift of Christ that God has given when he so loved the world. The trees that we, that we have in our living rooms point us to consider the ultimate tree upon which Jesus would give his life for our sake. The comfort that we experience from hot chocolate and, you know, um, eggnog and, and feasting and people that we love, it points to a future that's bright. It points to another tree that will be called the tree of life and we will all live our lives around that tree, and it's the tree that will be given for the healing of the nations, we're told. The warmth of friends and family, or the longing that many of us experience for the friends and family that we've never had. You know, many of us, the holidays are just something to muscle through because they amplify the loneliness that we have in our own families. Whether it's the enjoyment of family or the longing for the family that we, that we will never have on this side of glory. It all points to the marriage supper of the Lamb, the company of forgiven saints, where everybody will be around the table. Even this table points to that. 
and the rest that, that, that some of us are able to enjoy from work for a little while is a pointer to the fact that the work has already been finished in Christ. Merry Christmas. Thanks be to God. I want to invite you to stand with me. We're going to recite a prayer for the fourth Sunday of Advent from the Book of Common Prayer. And then Pastor Todd will lead us to the table. So let's pray together. Purify our conscience, Almighty God, by your daily visitation, that your Son, Jesus Christ, at his coming, may find in us a mansion prepared for himself, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated.